welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, my friends. So glad you're here. If you want to find your seats, that would be great. Um, if anybody still needs one of these bulletins, we ran out in the back. Um, raise your hand, I guess. We'll, I'll give you one. I have five here, four, or not. It'll just be right here. Great. Um, again, my name is Micah. So glad you're here. Um, one thing I will mention, Dan mentioned he was the uh, church planter in residence. Did you, you didn't talk about this, though, did you? Okay, so... Um, I just got this little book this morning. It's called A Prayer Guide for Lent. And you'll note that on the bottom when you get your copy, uh, it says Daniel Lucas. Our own Dan Lucas here has put this little book together. Yeah. <clears throat> I have zero published works. So this is cool, man. <laughs> this is really cool. Like your own name on there and all. Um, so this is A Prayer Guide for Lent. And as the creatively titled, uh, it is what it says it is. It's A Prayer Guide for Lent. So uh, every day in Lent, it has a morning, midday, and evening prayer. So if uh, you're interested in following along or maybe doing something you've never done of kind of doing um, daily orders of prayer, uh, this is something that the church has been doing for thousands of years, for goodness sakes. And uh, uh, Dan has been working hard to put this together. So this will go with our Lenten experience. So pick that up. Talk to Dan afterwards. You can buy that at any place they sell good books, also known as Awaken Community when you see Dan. Okay? <laughs> Um, friends, we are in a series called Joseph. We're studying Joseph. Our marketing team is just killing it around here lately. <laughs> We're in week five, and uh, we have been talking about following Joseph's life a little bit uh, along the way from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. So if you're just joining us, that's where we are. We're going to be looking at a word today. Uh, which we have been doing each week. And last week we, we explored the nature of the incarnation, this idea that God is with us. Uh, Awaken had the privilege and honor of hearing from the, uh, as I like to call her, the first lady of Awaken. <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs> she, uh, she hates it when I do that. When I do that. First lady Laura. Um, but seriously, if you, didn't, if you weren't here and you are a podcaster, you're going to want to download that one. Uh, my wife is lovely in so many ways, but she's sneaky. She sneaks up on people. Like People are like, man, she is really, really wise. And I'm like, I know. You should live with her. <laughs> Not really, but uh, she is uh, wonderful. And what she had to share last week was, I know, a gift to a lot of people. Um, so, very cool. Uh, we are in chapter 39. Joseph has just been sold into slavery. He has been purchased by a fellow named Potiphar, and he experiences God's presence in a very real and profound way in this passage, which we'll study, which arguably is what happens when God is with you, uh, this incarnation idea. So this is an all play, which means I'm about to ask a question, and you can feel free to respond, like yell it out. Uh, we don't do this often in this space. It's hard to hear because uh, sound just sort of disappears. But this is an all play. So when I say the word grace... What do you think of, or how would you define it? So go ahead and shout it out. When I say the word grace, how would you define it, or what do you think of? Unmerited favor. Thank you very much. Forgiveness. Free. Patience. Gift. An expectation. An expectation. Yes. It's fun being out here. I can see you all so much better. 
Yeah, grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Hallelujah. Uh, Your grace is enough. You maybe have heard that song. John Mark, as we were planning for this week, he said, over my dead body, am I going to play that song? (laughs) Oh, man, I love that guy. He's great. But for the grace of God, there go I. You've heard that one before. We have these familiar sayings about the word grace, right? It's sort of ubiquitous, especially around Christians. Grace, grace, grace. It's all grace. So I want to talk about grace, and to do so, I want to, I'm going to read the lyrics from a hymn that maybe you're familiar with, old school. And what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and just pay very close attention to what seems to be connected to grace in this hymn, okay? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. You can open your eyes if you would. And now, if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. I would invite you to stand as we read from the scriptures. We'll start in verse 2 of Genesis 39. The author says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we gather together as your church, one small little pocket of your believers in the world, I pray that as we uh, open ourselves up to this text, uh, that you would, by your Spirit, be near us, that you would speak to us, that you would offer to us grace in very real and profound ways. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Greater than all our sin. It seems like in this tune, and I would, I would suggest that this tune is um, maybe indicative of other songs of its era and day, there seems to be an inexplicable or a, uh, you cannot take grace out of a conversation if sin is not present. Like whenever you talk about grace, it's always connected to sin. And I think this, this song, and many others like it, um, Many of the books that I've read from evangelical theologians, it seems like when you talk about grace, you're talking about sin. But you'll notice that 
that passage that I read about Joseph had something maybe a little bit more. In this series, we've pulled out a word each week, and we've looked at that word, and we've asked questions about that word. We have looked at it in its original context. We've looked at it in its literary uh, situation, like what would it have meant for the author to say it this way and not that way. And I've invited you as the church to an interpretive journey, which is what we do every Sunday when we come to the text. By the way, there is no plain reading of the text, I would argue, because the moment you, who are not plain, put eyes on it, it becomes something other than a plain reading of the text, right? It's always an interpretive act. There is no uh, view from nowhere, right? We all have a perspective, and we bring that to the text. So whenever we read the Bible, it is an interpretive act. Whenever you read any literature, you're interpreting what you're reading. And so together we gather and we ask, what did this mean when the author wrote it? Um, Why did they say it that way instead of this way? And maybe the most important question, what is God saying today through this text? Because the word of God is alive and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, right? So what's it saying today? And that's what we want to do again, is come to this text and say, what does it say? What does it mean? And what is God saying to us? So this word we're going to look at today, grace. In Hebrew, it's the word chen. you got to kind of get the going. And so for those who have a problem spitting while they present, that's even worser. Worser? See that? It's not even a word. Um, it's, it's funner. <laughs> okay, that's not a word either. It's more fun. Anyways, grace, chen. Uh, The King James often gets this the most correct, or I should say it this way. The King James translation often gets the Hebrew most literally. And so when you read the word chen, it's often translated favor, but it's grace or favor. So in this passage we read, the King James renders it, and Joseph found grace in his sight. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. So Joseph receives grace in the eyes of Potiphar, and immediately he's entrusted with everything. No mention of sin in this conversation. Interesting. I find that interesting, right? If we talk about grace in in, in our day and in our age, from lots of our songs and our our books and our sermons that we maybe have heard, flannel graph, right? Flannel graph. Uh, When we talk about grace, we're talking about sin. But it seems that in the text, that's not present, or that's not the main point. That Joseph receives grace and he's entrusted with everything. Fascinating. So the next question for the budding theologians among us, which are you all, it's not just the paid staff of the church, right? Is is this rendering of grace consistent with other renderings of grace? Maybe its first usage in the text, which we've talked about before. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you begin in verse 5. And this is the story of Noah, and it says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted, King James says the Lord repented, that's interesting, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled, and so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, And with them, all of the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Skip to verse 19 of this chapter, and you find that Noah is, in fact, entrusted with everything. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. 
So its first usage is Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. By the way, this is a passage that I would, uh, we steer our, our kids' community teachers away from teaching downstairs because, listen, that's pretty crazy town, right? When you think about this, and even parents in the room, like, wait till your kids are 13, 14, and they can start to think about abstract ideas like God deciding to wipe out the entire human planet. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Either way, grace shows up in this passage, and it's grace that Noah finds in the eyes of God, and then, in fact, he's entrusted with everything. The woman named Hannah, Hannah, you can hear it, right? That means grace. And what, is, what happens with Hannah, if you know the story, she prays and prays and prays, and the Lord entrusts her with a child who becomes one of the great leaders of Israel's history. Seems that in the scriptures, this idea of grace is that when you receive it, you're entrusted with everything. You're entrusted with something of great value. It's very interesting to me that in my theological training in seminary, my undergrad at university, and I think the average evangelical on the street would say that there's something in this passage in Genesis 39 and Genesis 6 about Joseph that doesn't make its way into our typical understandings of grace. Joseph experiences grace and then he's entrusted with something. Seems that grace is for something. It seems that grace produces something or it invites something in us when we receive it. So the question is, why the difference or why the odds? Why the, why the, these two things seem to be at odds with one another, at least in my mind. Why is this the case? For many, when we think about this kind of grace that I'm talking about in the scriptures, where when you receive grace, you're entrusted with something. It requires a response. Like, it's sort of tit for tat, if then. Like, if you receive grace, then you have to do this. Which, if you're a church historian, all the Reformation alarm bells are ringing in your head right now, right? This is what Luther fought against, right? Sola gratia, grace alone, Ephesians 2. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works. So you have to separate grace from works, right? Because when the two are com- combined, then you get, it's, it's a little messy and people start selling indulgences. So we come from somewhere, And we have a history and a tradition that we inherit. And sometimes that tradition nails it on certain theological ideas. And sometimes we've been missing a whole other stream of conversation that's been going on. And I would argue in this case, this is where we find ourselves. So that's what I want to explore this morning. Why is there this gap when we say grace, sin, why, why is that different than what the scriptures seem to be saying? And it's not just the Old Testament, friends. Paul seems to say this as well. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, he says essentially that uh, to each one of us a grace has been given, apportioned by Christ, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, gifts of the Spirit. James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. Grace or the experience of faith without works is dead. So it's not just the Old Testament. Why the difference? Why the chasm between these two ideas? And of course, I'm, I'm saying that, that when we think about grace in our day and in our age, if we look at our songs and we look at uh, the stories, if we look at flannel graph, uh, that grace is typically a conversation about sin. And it seems that the Bible is having a different conversation. Why? I have one idea for you this morning. Just one. And I think if you begin to grapple with this idea, if you begin to uh, uh, unpack this, the implications are far-reaching. It sort of changes everything. Here's how I would say it. 
Where, where you begin the story impacts what kind of story you tell and where the story will end. Said simply, where you begin matters. So if you're going to tell a story, the point at which you begin the story matters a great deal, and it impacts the trajectory of that story going forward, and even hems in sort of the possibilities of how it might end. Question, does the story of Christianity begin with original sin or original blessing? Two streams of thought in the Christian story going all the way back to the patristic fathers and mothers of the 3rd and 4th century. One group of people whom we are heirs of, Protestants, Augustine and Luther and other reformers, focus on an idea called original sin, whereas another group of church fathers and mothers talk a lot about an idea called original blessing. Where you begin the story matters, and it will influence where it goes. So does the story of the Bible, the story of God, begin with original sin? Or does it begin with original blessing? If you pay close attention, for myself, for many of us and myself included, the story that we were told, many of our songs bear witness to it, that has become the default, in terms of the Christian story, could be summed up in fallen redemption. A fall from grace, a fall from Eden, and redemption through the work of Jesus Christ. Paying the penalty for our sin, ransoming us back from the devil, whatever uh, uh, atonement lens you want to look at, right? But that could be, that, that's sort of the sum up of the story. A fall from grace or a fall from Eden, a fall from God's re relationship with God, and then a, re a redeeming, a redemption of that fall. And unfortunately, my friends... Uh, in this story, we're often, you and I, sinners, every last one of us, we're broken, we're flawed at best, we're wretched worms at worst, in need of saving and in need of redemption and rescue. And that rescue happens someday after we die, in full, right? And so, until then, right, we're hoping and waiting for something that's coming later. We're saved now, which is good, thank the Lord. But we're hoping and waiting for something which will happen at a later date. And this rescue, of course, comes in the form of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty. This is grace. Now hear me very loud and clear. I'm not saying that any of what I have said is not true. Podcast people, when you go back and listen, I'm not saying that any of what I just said is not true. I'm just saying that when you start the story there, grace takes on a whole different meaning. Grace becomes a different concept that seems to be at odds with what the scriptures talk about grace to be. So maybe we've started the story in the wrong place and we haven't understood grace as the people who intended us to understand it. See where I'm going here? What drives this story that I'm saying, that many of us have, is sort of a default for us, is the idea of original sin at every last one of us. And so then grace becomes a response to this problem. Grace becomes God's response or solution to the problem. Now, friends, if our imagination about who we are essentially, like in our essence, at our deepest level, 
is that we're unworthy, filthy rags, broken and sinful, deceitful and wicked, then it is no wonder that grace stops at receiving. It seems that in the scriptures there's a passive nature to grace. It's something that comes to us, yes. And then there's an action, there's a response, there's a, a catalyst that happens. But if our imagination about ourselves is that we're horrible, wicked, deceitful people, like filthy rags, unworthy, then when God's grace comes to us, it's no wonder we have no imagine for anything, no imagination for anything other than just getting saved. That's a story that begins with original sin, and it seems to miss the mark of what the text is saying, I would argue. Grace is for something in the text. Grace moves us. Grace, because there was something, grace invites us back instead of just arriving. Grace engages you. Grace gives you a job because you had a job. (laughs) In this way, grace is restorative. It's invitational. It doesn't appear out of nowhere. What if grace was here all along? What if grace was here before we ever got here? What if grace was one of the the instruments in the symphony that made it all happen? And what if grace is a part of, as we experience it, God's grace? Yes, the songs that talk about grace, grace, you know, Christ dying on the cross. Yes, yes, yes. But grace is not the response of God to sin. Grace was here all along. What if you begin in a different place? What if you don't start the Christian narrative with sin? I think you you begin to hear a different story. What if you begin the story with Genesis 1 and 2, where the book begins, right? With original blessing, that what is present in the beginning is the benevolent, creative impulse of God saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. It doesn't begin with you're a worm and a wretched worm, unworthy of anything, to, you can't do anything for yourself, and so you need God to pull you up out of, that's not where the story begins. It begins with blessing and benevolence and wonder and creativity and delight. Now, if you start there, it tracks differently. Because in the original blessing scenario, you and I, humanity, we're given a job to do. God says to Adam and Eve, work and tend, work and guard this garden of delight that you are in the midst of. So you have a job to do. What if we are inherently... In our, in our essence, beautiful and wondrous and delightful. What if sin is the alien? If you take sin away, you don't become less human. What if in our essence, what's truest about you and me is blessing, wonder, delight, God's goodness, God's light. Now, is there a problem in the world? Clearly, yes. Don't hear me wrong. But where you begin the story makes a huge difference as to how the story tracks and where it ends. 
What if sin is alien? What if it's foreign and goodness and beauty and light is our true nature? And the work of God in the world is grace, a gift that brings us back home to where we belong, a gift that we cannot produce or find or create or, or earn that we receive, but that gift is for something, and it engages us and brings us back to what God had in mind when God created us, which is to work and guard this garden of delight, which, by the way, is still pulsing all around us, even as dark and as bad as it gets out there. Have you been outside this weekend when you've smelled like the humming green buzz of the earth? Did anybody smell that this week with the birds chirping? Like, that's wonder, that's delight, that's blessing, that's benevolence. Have you smelled a flower before? Go to the Coval Conservatory, friends. I do this every spring when I'm just like dying on the inside and hoping something's not, like something's growing in there. Go to the conservatory and just stick your face in a lily and you will, you will believe that there is a good God out there still working in the world. Have you been, like, my wife and I call it food ecstasy. When you go somewhere and you order exactly the right thing, and, you, like, as soon as you eat it, you're like, yes, thank God that is exactly what I wanted, right? And with a good glass of wine and, like, the smell of a baby, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Have you been around babies lately? Like, when you put your face up against their little heads, you're like, you can't recreate it. They try, but you can't. You can't put, like, fall. You can't put fall in a candle. You can try as you might, but it just never does it. That's blessing. That's wonder. That's delight. That's God at work in the world. And that is still pulsing around us. And what if grace is not just God's response to the problem, but it was present in the beginning, and it invited you into the world and gave you a job to do, and it brings you back home to where you belong and says, keep doing your job. There was a guy named Thomas Merton, who was a uh, Catholic theologian, and he wrote this poem called the Hagia Sophia, which means holy wisdom. This is dense, but it gets at this, so I want to I read it. He says, there is in all visible things an invisible fecundity, a dimmed light, a meek namelessness, a hidden wholeness. Let's stop right there. This mysterious unity and integrity is wisdom, the mother of all, natura naturans, which means nature doing what nature does. He goes on and says, There is in all things an inexhaustible sweetness and purity, a silence that is a fount of action and joy. It rises up in wordless gentleness and flows out to me from the unseen roots of all created being." The gift of my creator's thought and art within me, speaking as holy wisdom. What's Merton saying? That there is, a, there is something afoot in the world, and in you, and in me, and in every creature in the, made in the image of God that cannot and will not be extinguished or put out. And it is still humming, it is still pulsing if you have eyes to see it. Last week I told a story about when I got kicked off my college golf team. <laughs> and uh, Laura, my wife, was, we were talking about incarnation, and she showed up for me. And I didn't finish, I didn't tell you the end of that story. Uh, so I got angry in front of like a four-star retired 
Air Force general and uh, was asked, well, I was told that I would no longer be playing uh, college golf on my team, which had serious implications for me as a kid who was paying for college on his own at a Christian liberal arts university. Um, I was on scholarship to play golf. And so uh, when I made that decision and reaped the consequences of that action, uh, I was making plans to go, to go home and to not finish school because I couldn't pay for it. So from the moment I got back uh, from this trip to the moment I was going to meet with my coach, Brian Fort. I haven't seen him since college, but I have something to say to Brian Fort. I had a meeting with him on like a Wednesday or Thursday. And like in, the, in between, you know, you cook up all these ideas of like how it might go down. Like, that was a joke. It was a test. Just kidding, right? You're an idiot. Stop acting like one and you can play golf next year. Uh, that's not what happened. I sat down in front of my coach across the desk from him, and he said, Micah, uh, there, is, there will not be a space for you on this golf team next year, but I'm going to honor your scholarship because you have work to do on this campus. That's grace. It's not just something that you get. It's not just something that you receive, but when you take it all the way down and the seed of grace gets planted in the soil of your soul, something grows. You're given everything. When you receive grace, God says, it's all yours. Work with me. Partner with me. Be a part of the story of redemption that's happening right here and right now. Be heralds. Be the people who tell of the good news and the benevolence of God. Be a part of that. Don't just sit there. You have a job to do, church. Grace is not just God's response to sin. It has been here all along, and it will continue on. And it is the benevolent heart of God saying, join me. Join me in this. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who needs that kind of grace, who needs that kind of good news, that the story does not begin with you are a wretched, wicked, unworthy person who can do nothing for yourself, filled with sin. The story doesn't begin there. Why do we start it there? Is it true that I'm broken? Is it true that you're broken? Is it true that we need something outside of ourselves that we can't produce? Yes, but the story begins with benevolence and grace and delight and wonder, and it ends there. So why do we start here? I just don't get it. That's a crappy story. <laughs> and it's not the one the Bible's telling. So why do we feel so keen to tell it? From every street corner. Crikey, it's just... Did anybody go to marketing class? Like, if you're going to sell that, don't start there! <laughs> you know? And it's good news. It's good news. That's why they call it the gospel. Oh my gosh. I think what keeps us from receiving grace sometimes all the way down is fear. Fear and a lack of an imagination that you are anything more than your worst moment. A lack of an imagination that you are anything more than your worst moment. 
That's where grace finds you. Oh, friends, it's bigger than that. It's bigger. It's bigger. It's better. It's more gooder news than you could ever imagine. <laughs> so who wants to follow that Jesus? Who wants in on that? Hallelujah, sister. I see that hand. So let's start. If you've never decided to, do it today. Say yes. Be a part of that story. Follow that Jesus. That's what Jesus is about. And if you're here this morning and you've already said yes to it, then we got work to do, church. All right? Pray with me. God, this morning, as we sit and wonder at the grace of the divine, we find ourselves in awe. We find ourselves speechless, unable to grasp the love and the grace that is poured out, maybe most fully seen in Jesus, and that was present from the very beginning, had a seat in the, in the symphony, bringing all things to life, creating all things and is bringing all things back together in Christ. And so God, as we take a few moments of silence to meditate and think about and wonder at this grace, find us, be near us. Holy Spirit, here we are. My friends, would you stand for a benediction, a blessing, a blessing that has been said over the people of God for a couple thousand years now by a guy named Moses first. The Lord said, this is how you are to bless the people. This is what you're to say to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.